Okay, folks, thank you for joining us this time around to the latest in the Build It series. This year, this time, we are going international, uh, going all the way over to sunny Scotland, or not so sunny Scotland as it may be, with uh, Michael Bockel of the Scottish Soccer... What's, your, what's the full title of your podcast? I forget, my friend. Uh, Scottish Football Marketing Podcast. There you are, the Scottish Football Marketing Podcast, which seems like a little bit of a niche thing, but honestly, myself and John have been fanboying over it for weeks now. Um, the stuff that you guys are talking about, and well, I'll let you talk about what you do momentarily, but I think anybody listening to this podcast who's got the slightest bit of interest in marketing a non-league stroke volunteer run stroke non-MLS um, soccer campaign over here should be listening. You guys, seriously, are just changing changing the way we look at everything. Um, John, you with us? Absolutely. Hello, everybody. Lovely. Sorry. I always forget to introduce John. I'm you. So, um, Michael, if you could just give us a very quick overview of the Scottish Football Marketing Podcast and your background and how you and Chris, who's not on the call, um, came to put it all together, that would be a starting point for us. Yeah. Um, I thank you for the kind words. Um, so my job title is really Head of Digital at the Scottish Football Association, which is the um, best way to describe it, it's the Soccer Federation within um, Scotland, so the governing body. The, the Scottish Football Market and Podcast was really came about, I, I've had met Chris a couple of times at a couple of events, I had engaged with him on Twitter. And, and Chris is glad that he can't be on tonight, uh, but he, he he's very passionate about all things sports marketing, um, which is a bit weird for a guy that doesn't actually work in sports marketing, but, you know, he he just he just loves it. And we got chatting one time, and he had actually interviewed me for his website, and I, I something happened within sports marketing, and I went, have you ever thought about a podcast? Um and it, from there, we kind of just were, were messaging each other about, yeah, let's do this. And then, what well, I went to get permission off my boss because I work for the Scottish Football Association. And, you know, as a governing body, these things can be a bit sensitive if you're talking about other clubs, etc. And he was like, you know, why don't you just put it under the Scottish Football Association umbrella and, and, and do it as an official um, podcast that supports and develops our clubs within Scotland. And, and from there, that, that's how it's developed. And, you know, we've done, I think, uh, in excess of 50-odd episodes now. We've even created a mini-series that looked at the um, power of football that our club development manager um, uh, within the Scottish FA, Danny Bisland, did. And, you know, it, it's been great for to try and help as many clubs as we can at all levels. And that's what we try to say as part of our mission and vision for the podcast is to help as many clubs as we can at all levels of the game in Scotland. And as testament to me being on this podcast, it's, it's grown arms and legs. And we, we've got um, listeners from, from all around the world, which is great. I mean, I don't think we set out to, to do that, but, you know, the fact that we have is great. And, you know, as you said, um, we, we, we cover a number of different topics each time that we, we record. And the aim is... we. Again, we set out that our, our guiding principle for the podcast was that we would cover a specific topic um, and we would get a, a guest that would come on who specialises in that area or has experience in that area and, and we'll cover that for us. So we started our first ever podcast was covering the um, data and insights and knowing your audience and we got somebody on from uh, a research agency to, to do that. And it's gone from there. We've we've covered a whole host of topics from online advertising to the fan experience. We've had people on from specific clubs talking about what they do. In fact, we've had um, Joshua Mason from uh, Indy 11. He came on and, and talked about it from a, a US point of view. We've had um, people on from Australia. We've had uh, talked about retail. We've talked like a whole host of different topics so um it's one that we're we've had a little break over the festive period and we will be looking to, to pick up again in the new year with um, some some new guests i mean as we we're saying to you in our preamble john and i have been binging much like a netflix watchathon right over your podcast whilst you've been on hiatus we've been sort of catching up i mean the one that jumped out at me and john was the marketing club x and i want to talk about that one in more depth but um just a little bit more about you so we you know we get your credibility where do your soccer alliances, your football alliances actually lie club-wise? Um, so I'm from a small town in the north north of Scotland. Um, it's a non-league club called Newham County. Um, to be honest, you know, 
working within Scottish football, I've kind of grown into the fact that I just want Scottish football to be to be the best it can, and mm-hmm. um, I, I try to take as many games as I can now. Um, well, when games were available to go, but you know, <laughs> um, if I, I, I'm asked this question, my official line is now. Yep, I, I understand you. Uh, my my team back home is. Tra- oh, go on, John. No, I I I. One thing he said already jumped out that I love is he talked to, talked to his boss at the FA about doing a podcast, and the leadership there says, "I love the idea. Let's help everybody." And I just I'm I'm giggling to myself listening because you would love the United States upper echelon federation and you would love to see that sort of guidance where yeah let's put out some content that helps all the clubs in the country at all levels and i just it just amazes me how far off we are from where we need to be as a nation (laughs) in the sport i mean seriously it's 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 a credit to uh you know the european model that we all want to want to follow and want and we dream for our clubs to have the opportunities that that we think from across the pond Everybody over there has the same opportunity. But your podcasts, uh, they hit so close to home in certain aspects, uh, at least at the lower leagues that, that our club and others like us play in, that it really is no different no matter where you go. And we, we look across the pond and think it's, wow, they've got it figured out. And Nick always tells me stories of, no, you, this club failed with this and this club failed with this. And it's the same old challenges at the lower levels of, of community engagement, you know, financial structure sponsors all those things and that is exactly why i get i get excited to hear other people's voices uh, your fan experience and, and club x podcast like they as nick said they they re-energize us a little bit and it's it's really it's really been powerful uh, i sit and take notes feverishly when i listen to your stuff so uh, I'm, I'm super happy to have you on and i'm just kind of build off some of the things truthfully if everybody just stopped listening to us right now and just go listen to your podcast, they're going to learn more than if we continue, but I'd rather talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> You're making me bust, John. Um, <laughs> good, good. Have you implemented any of your, the stuff that you've talked about um, at Nairn County? I, so I, I'm not directly involved at Nairn, but I do speak to them on, on a regular basis. And, that's and point that them seems in general like a foolish mistake on their behalf. Really, <laughs> they've got a guy um, who does marketing. Yeah, no. Look, to, to be fair, then they're doing a great job. Um, and and when they, they it's been an interesting time. The clubs come from basically having rich owners for for that level anyway. And um, they, they, when they pulled out, the club was pretty much knees. It was in danger of going out of business. Um, and the the committee got behind the club, and the club got, was um, now run by. Uh, bank of, of volunteers who run it very much as a community club now and you know I, I do give them help and they've just launched a membership scheme um, in the last six to, to 12 months that is um, called the club 1914 uh, named after the year that they were formed and fans pay in play basis to that and you get rewards supporting the club and, and that was that came as a, a basis of a conversation I had with somebody at the club and um, giving them pointers and proposed model, which they adapted to suit them, which was great. You know, not everything that I've said on Club X or hopefully that I will say on this that you take and, and you just lift, you know, you've got to adapt that to what your needs are. So, um, yeah, no, look, they, they, they take my help when they can get it, um, but they, they're doing a great job as it is. You know, my day job very much is the Scotland National soccer team so uh, the country and we try to roll out quite a lot of stuff there which obviously is on a different level um, but you know there's still the, the guiding principles is what what takes you there hey i've got a uh, question about that and and we can we can use club 1914 as a as a uh, reference point as you said they're sort of a non-league clubs so um, what are what are the best benefits? Again, this is redundant to a number of your podcasts, but what are the best benefits that that clubs out there give to their members, or whether they call them members or owners or whatever the terminology? What are the what are the key components to building a model that your membership doesn't just hit hard year one, but it actually grows and scales over time because you're retaining existing members and adding new ones year after year i think it's about adding value John. to be honest i think it's about how you communicate with your fan bases i'm sure we've all signed up for things in the past or, or you know you the, there's great intentions with a club but it did nothing follows through the, the 
emails, the communication dries up, you know, you, you put money in, but you don't really see anything in return. Now, you're not having to give away the, the family silver or, or that. You, you know, you, Club 1914, for example, um, they, they do prize draws every quarter. Um, that you know you can actually win money back you or they do giveaways for for shirts you get discounts you know it's what really uh, if any club was to go right we're going to create a membership i would be out there asking a survey you know ask your fans what is it that they want you know fans football soccer fans are are very willing to support their club they're very happy for the most part to hand over their hard-earned cash to help the club that you know clubs shouldn't really take that for granted they should be looking at how do we turn that into um, a, a sort of long-term relationship as you said and how do you, you build on that and, and for me it's a, the value that you add through feeling like you're part of something as i said it's very easy to take it for granted and just take the cash uh, just for all your great intentions to, to fall by the wayside. But if you can you can find that sweet spot, and as I said, every club will be different. So what I may say county might not work for for another club, but it is finding that right thing. And whatever that is, you know, at New County, I pay £10 a month. I don't expect a lot back for that £10 a month. But my £10 a month, I think, is worth more, over the course of a year, I think is worth more than what a season ticket would be you know when a season ticket gets into the games for free now we don't get into the, all games for free at name county and um, but there, there's different up and i think i talked about that on club x funny enough uh, in terms of you know is it that you, you do specials at a game where you know all members all you can eat for free or you know that there's a million different ways um to look at it it's just finding what fits your fan base the best yeah i think i think that Makes sense. And I actually, this is why I love talking to people because of course I jotted some notes down of things that I might've thought about or, or, you know, heard you say even in the past or, or heard one of your guests say, and uh, it seemed like I have 35 different notebooks of ideas and things we could try. Um, I think, I think all those, those things make a lot of sense. And I'm a big proponent of surveys because I, I believe that the community will tell you what they want. And uh, Nick and I've said it over and over again, we will only go as far as the community takes us. So why not ask them what they want and do our best to give it to them? I think that's, that's a great, that's a great uh, resource is, is just use, use uh, simple Google forms or, or other surveys to get feedback and, and then mold your operation around that. Um, one thing that I get really excited about is organizational structure and, and technology and not, again, to Nick's, Nick mentioned earlier, we can only do so much, you know, in terms of spending money on ticketing and different things like that. But uh, have you seen anything at the lower levels or even just above where, you know, it's an easy way to keep track of things? I mean, we're still using, we use a couple different platforms, but we still really go back to spreadsheet. And maybe that's appropriate at this level, but is there a better way to keep track of members versus ticket holders versus former members versus former ticket holders? Is, is, there, is there anything you've seen in the digital world that organizes a club better? I think it depends on your level, to be honest. You know, if, you, if you're if you a club that is only 100 members, do you really want to be giving up money to to pay for software or a platform where it's just as easy to do it in a spreadsheet? You know, I still work a lot in spreadsheets. So, you know, there, there, is, there is definitely platforms out there. There's one um, in Scotland that has partnered with a number of different clubs um, and the name escapes me, so when I will hopefully remember this <laughs> during this call, um, I'll remember the name of it. But there, I think, it again, it, it's finding what is the easiest to use because if you invest in technology and platforms, it's often well, especially if they, they can help you to the next level, but you need to keep using them. You need the, the expertise to use them. I don't know what it's like in the, the States, but in Scotland, a lot of our clubs um, are run by older people. And, and I don't want to be stereotypical or, or um, make, make sweeping generalizations, but you know, technology is not always second nature um, and, and they have to rely on, on support from um, across the club. And you know, people come and go, volunteers come and go, and, and you, you can lose that consistency. Um, and knowledge at that level so 
it's about what works best. And I know that might sound like a cop-out answer, but I'll generally say there's nothing wrong with a spreadsheet as long as you've got you you keep your data secure, whether it's password protected or whatever it is. But nothing wrong with a spreadsheet. Yeah, that that I guess that makes me feel better <laughs> because I sometimes I feel uh, <laughs> I, I, I I if you could see the dialogue Nick and I have between text messages and emails and Google Keeps and and then Nick and I are just two of about twenty two to twenty five people the volunteer for our club. And, and so the, you know, things just kind of get all over the place and it, it does hurt. Even my own little list of ideas, I've got, like I said, I've got about seven different places uh, between paper and electronic. Maybe that's just the, the way my personal mind works, but hey, it was ticket co the thing you were going on. You, were you thinking of ticket co? I think that came up on one of your, I don't remember which, which podcast, I think ticket co was one of the digital resources or, or maybe it was mostly ticketing and stuff, but that seemed like that was software yeah, I'll, company. I'll, I'll, I'll find the name by the end of this podcast, I promise. <laughs> and um, I'll, I'll, I'll shout I'll out Tourette's all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd hate to jump in, but I've just got one one quick query. You were saying like there isn't a one-size solution for all your data entry. Is there one idea that kind of, even if majority of clubs have already implemented it, whether it's, you know, I, I don't know what it could be, but one very simple thing that everybody should be doing in your, in your whether they are or not. Um, every, every club should have a club identity I, I say this all the time and uh, John you were talking at the start how you look over over the pond and um, look at us and think we've got it all nailed down I'll tell you right now there is clubs in Scotland that I could not tell you what they stand for what their club identity now don't get me wrong there is a lot of clubs that are excellent and you know exactly what their values are but um, any club, and this is the same for an ML up all the way down to a club that has two people going to watch them, have an identity and have some club values and everything you do will, will stem off of that. Now, you don't have to invest money in that. Uh, you know, you can do that. that. That's something that anybody can do, but that should dictate your behaviour and your initiatives and how you want to go about things you go for. Well, I hope we've got that. Yeah, I think, I think, I, we I think we're trying. Yeah, with with I think you know on a flippant level the whole th the corn thing and the Iowa rivalry we've got, but I think within ourselves we don't always communicate it. But I think our stance on community, we are fairly solid on that. You can always do it better, right? But I agree with you. There's clubs in England, in Scotland, and certainly in America who you don't know whether that they're there. Um, and yeah, yeah they play think, football at three o'clock on a Saturday. Yeah, exactly. Which is you know which in of itself is a good thing, and they're providing a service. But why should I go to you as opposed to? go to the rugby club or the basketball club or whatever it is down the road. And that's the, what's your USP, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And, and it sounds, again, like, because everybody looks and chases, the, they think the answer is in technology, they, they, they think the answer is in finance and, and investment. And, and, and yes, that will come. But, you know, sometimes you have to start at the very beginning. My advice to, to anybody is understand yourself what your club identity and club values are. And from there that will help lead the way on, on the rest of the stuff. It's meant for boots on the ground. Boots on the ground, that's John's catchphrase of the month. But there's no, there's no alternative to it, whether, whether it's a soccer club or you're starting a new business or whatever. It's like you've got to get the word out. You've got to be, get in front of people's faces one way or another. So just, you know, existing isn't enough. No, and, then, and, and from that, you know, your club identity will um, transcend through how you behave on social, the sort of content you do in social how you approach now one thing that I would I don't think enough clubs do in Scotland for example and I, I don't know what it's like with you but email your fans you know there as part of club 1914 have got very good at it and um, which is something that I'm delighted to, to see that I've maybe rubbed off on a little because you know I get regular updates off of them now uh, and they tell me because I'm a member that this is the latest news they try to give me the latest news early and um, it can't always be the case obviously but but they try and it, it's great and you know that communication and how you communicate with your fans uh, is important i think that the more you can, can make things simple for your fans whether that's the experience um, online but in terms of your communication um, is important I i'm gonna i'm gonna push back on that one um just and i don't disagree with the, the bigger picture of you got to communicate but i find emails to be a time drain that isn't rewarded in terms of returns. Am I doing it wrong or am I just not buying drinking the Kool-Aid or what is it? Again, it depends what you're looking to achieve with them. Um, if you've got tickets to sell, I mean, at, at eye level, obviously, which is very different 
dealing with a stadium of 50,000 people. Um, but email is one of our biggest revenue drivers. But when there's not games, there's not been games for the past year um, that fans can go to. But we use it as a, a driver for engagement with fans, whether it's just giving them the latest news, getting them to watch other bits of our content, um, giving them different things that they might not want, uh, not that they not want, but um, that might not know that existed. Um, getting them to enter competitions again about finding different ways to add value to fans and I, I find email is a, a good way um, to do that open rates for football clubs are generally a lot higher than y- your average so fans generally want to see every club's different though um, and other clubs might find it you know I'd rather invest in social media because I want to grow try and grow my fan base and, and that's one of the tools I want to use but uh, personally, uh, I find email valuable. I think it's a cheap way of doing things, especially at the smaller scale where you can use something like MailChimp and um, you can track, you can do a lot of a good tracking within that to find out what people are actually interacting with. You find value in segmentation of your, this is getting incredibly nerdy now, marketing people talk about marketing, but from segmenting your list, do you, when you're, when you're dealing with a Scottish FA, right, there's, your marketing list is hundreds of thousands, but when you're dealing with Nairn County, and I know you're not involved, then, but the potential audience is tens, right, twenties possibly. How valuable is taking the time to segment at that level? I don't, I don't think you need to go into great detail and segmentation at that level, if I'm honest. I think Newman have got about 100 members just now, and we'll all get the same email, yeah. which is fine. You know, probably the, the next level of segmentation for them, if they really wanted to look at that, would be email people within the Nairn area and email people like me who don't live at home uh, in our hometown anymore. But at that level, no. I, I think there's other things you could probably spend your time on. And, and email, while email is good, you know, you can get caught up in the, the minute detail. However, the bigger... Um, your database is that's when I think some segmentation can be slightly more valuable but again it's about you know the the obvious one is who lives close to your stadium who doesn't live close to your stadium age-wise they might be interested in different things we segment between members and non-members um, at one level um, at the national team so again there's, there's many different ways to look at it but on, on the small scale I wouldn't get bogged down in that worry about needing to segment I would just be doing it. I'd just be emailing um, and going from It's better to send someone an email that they don't want than not to send an email to someone who would have wanted it, basically. Yeah, um, like you, you, you're soon, you're soon really, somebody will unsubscribe if they don't yeah. want your stuff either way. So. Yes, totally. Um, right, we are running out of time in this first half. We've got about, what have we got? Oh, we've got another five minutes left. So, John, have you got a quick question that Michael can chew, chew the cut on? Well, yeah, I, get, I, get, I, got, I want to get into sponsors in the, in the second half because that's a little lengthier. Um, but, but just one note that, that I had written down was um, one of the things that we try to do, and I think any small club tries to do, is, is I want to switch. I want 110 next week. The week after that, I want 120, et cetera, et cetera, for, for 100 years, right? So are there, are there any things, any tricks, any gimmicks, any, um, anything that you've seen that made people say, wow, we're, you know, we'll be back. Or, or is it the game day? You know, I don't think the game day experience is quite the same here. We have to do it up like a carnival outside of the game um, where I think a lot of pure fans go to watch the sport probably over there. Um, anything that you've seen that's, that clubs have been successful in growing their gate attendance, you know, week after week, season after season? It's interesting that, uh, you know, we look at America and go – there's elements of the fan experience that we we lack on severely, and you're right that a lot of the core fan base in Scotland will go to the game religiously, no matter what. And a lot of the time, it's not a great experience. But in order to grow your your fan base, you know, there's different ways. Your fan experience is definitely one of it. But it's how do you again it goes back to your club identity. What what do you offer as a club beyond the match day? How are you within your community? How are you? communicating to your fans and again there's a communication with there again but you know what is it that you offer and stand out and give a reason why do you make it easy for people to find out about your club online find out what they could be in store for when they go what the, the information is for a first-time visitor what's the information for families can they get a, a, a taste of what's going to be 
can you get them along um, as part of a, a wider initiative that is a family fund day, for example? Can you have a community day? Can you do activity on the pitch that engage your local schools? Can you? There's so many different things. There's no. I don't think there's one surefire answer. I think it's it's how you you go about as a club and give that image of yourselves and give the information and give the um, experience that that whole experience, whether it's um, at the game, but more importantly before, um, and how you entice people up. I, I think you're spot on. You got to try everything. Every every community is different. Every club's different. Try try themes. Try gimmicks. Try uh, specials. Try changing the food. And then I, I think going back to your survey point, you know, you could oh, the best way to find out what people want to see or what they want to experience is just to ask them. Yeah, definitely. But you know, it goes back to that main point about your club identity. You know, it, it's all fair and well doing doing gimmicks and everything else but if it doesn't really tie in to what your your identity is and what your long-term plan strategy is then it's just a one-off and and fans can see through that i I think one of the best podcasts we've done recently was with um a gentleman called daniel lambert who is uh the he's now actually got appointed ceo after we did the podcast not saying the podcast had anything to do with it but um he (laughs) He is a CEO of Bohemians as a club in Dublin, in Ireland. And, you know, their approach to everything is community first. It's, they, they've, they've increased their uh, attendances. They've now got revenues coming in from, for merchandise globally. You know, what they do within their local area and are proud to be um, from the, the part of Dublin they are. And, and what they haven't won. A, a trophy in over 10 years they were nearly bankrupt but they can still increase their attendance so it is very much about your values and your community um, or your identity sorry and, and from there that that will lead you to what you need to do I think I think I listened to that by him and you're right like they've got the benefit that they exist and they've got the history but they're making an effort right it goes back to existing is not enough and I think as Brits we are very we can be very cynical about the American razzmatazz of things but I'll give them their dues through gritted teeth, right? They try hard to offer something more to the game day experience other than turn up, get drunk with your friends and go and abuse a left back for for 45 minutes. There's a lot more to the game day experience. didn't say the word team we never we never said the team like i don't i personally have very little involvement with our team we have we have we have a first team men's under 23 and a women's under 23 i don't have anything to do with them you know and and i think that's the thing like the technical staff deals with that the rest of us are in it for a completely different reason and we support the team as much as we the players as much as we can but they are a part of a bigger story and so all of us so that's where we really I always focus on club this isn't a team these aren't teams this is a club that represents a community and then how we make that how we make this club last 100 years well that's up to us to set the table and, and build a strong foundation the format the, the formation the tactics on the pitch mean nothing ne- this time next year so um right John you said you had some questions about sponsorship so yeah Michael, so, so yeah the, put on some comfy so shoes the, Michael you're going to be here some time <laughs> no no, so this this um, obviously it's probably it's probably something that you talk about quite often or get asked about quite often. But um, the way that clubs like like ours funds itself, it, sponsors are a major part of our revenue. In some ways, that's very romantic because it's literally the community supporting the club. It's it's not the only way, but it, it is a big number. And I think a lot of clubs assume that sponsors are going to turn up for our small little clubs. We've been very fortunate. We've got a lot of connections. We've got a lot of relationships within our organization as a whole. We've been successful at it. I I think others struggle. And I think this is the thing that people get excited. And it's probably the question I get asked the most. Like, How do you talk to sponsor? How do you put a package together that is attractive to a sponsor? When you're a small club, you're, you're not 
you're not um, major league soccer where you're saying, I'm going to put you in front of X number of people. Um, and I think one thing that we've done well is, is with Nick managing all the media and, and content online, we have a very uh, present voice locally with Facebook and things, and then nationally with Twitter and, and internationally with you. So, um, but it, but it all comes back to sponsors. How do you make, how do you make a small business, especially on the back end of a pandemic, be able to free up $50 or something? And what can you give them in return that's tangible that also doesn't tax your volunteer staff to make sure that you, you know, meet, Hey, I promised you 10 things for your, for your $300. Now, all of a sudden I've got 10 more things. And th that sponsorship, all of that, I, I ramble sometimes you can tell all of that encompasses the challenge of bringing in sponsors. So free range question, but what are, what are the things you see with, with attracting and, and keeping sponsors at all levels? Don't worry, John, I, I ramble too. No, I think, you know, pre, pre pandemic, it was, you looking at what can you offer sponsors? And, and I think at a certain level, a lot of companies, organizations will put a bit of money to a local club and not genuinely expect to get the returns that you would maybe expect as alluded to at a club or, or somebody, a club that's a, a lot senior. I think though, you know, if you're, if you're a smart club, especially as we're going beyond um, uh, post post coronavirus, you know, what is it you can offer? What is, what is your unique selling point? You, you talked there about the building your online um, presence and, you know, the, there's clubs out there that are probably bigger online than they are in, in real life. And, and that's because they've done some great stuff around that. You look at what can you offer in terms of, and if we go back to, I talked about it earlier, you know, can you build a marketing database? Because your ability to email far more people then we go to your game becomes a far more valuable tool than a pitch side advertising board or a, 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 something that happens at the game. So all of a sudden you've got a valuable asset there in a, in a marketing database that you are directly talking to people. I think you've got to, to really look at that long-term value. What can you offer and what can you help, especially a local business, um, and a small business at that have get some tangible results. A lot of businesses, and, and we still get them within Scottish football, and, and we've dealt with some recently at um, a national team level, and they're, they're just interested in brand awareness, and, and that's all fair and well, that's fine. But, you know, if you look at different levels, whether it's Booking.com and UEFA, and that whole sponsorship model's changed where booking.com are looking at how many number of hotel beds can they sell and um, it's actually come down and they they're not interested about their logo being everywhere they, at the end of the day it's, it's very much a digital partnership where they can they can sell more hotel beds we've got uh, partners where it's about they're looking to increase the number of people doing so and and that's where as a club we can help get that and, and direct people to do that whether it's via um, and, and it all depends on who the sponsor is and what it is but having those right activations being able to pitch to them that what is it you can offer the more we talked about at the very start understanding your fan base your audience the more information you can go in with that you can help paint that picture and that will help um it, it builds up your your bank of assets, if you like, what you've got in your armory to, to help convince a local business. It's not a case of, yeah, yeah we're, we're a club that plays at this level and on average we're in front of 100 fans. That's great. But, you know, the club, half a, a, a state away, you know, they're, they're telling me as much as they can about their fan base. And they tell me that they speak to their fan base not just on match day, they, they speak to them on a weekly basis um, by sending out an email to 10 times the amount of people that go to their games. So it's really about how you package that all together. And yes, you don't want to be selling something that you, your volunteers are then having to do so much work. You've got to value yourselves um, rightly as well. You don't want to undersell you. You know, the golden rule really that everybody kind of always says is that if a sponsor is put in for everyone dollar in your case of sponsorship that goes in they should be spending one dollar on activation that's probably not going to happen at a lower level but what can the club do to help with that activation but again not stretch yourselves too far that it goes against sorting your own club priorities out but 
looking at how you you package that all together i think a great example i can give for anybody that is listening and, and wants to go and look at something there's a a non-league club in scotland called berwick rangers that's b-e-r-w-i-c-k and they they put together a nice little sponsorship brochure i've not really seen that and uh, the, the production level and it was a pdf sort of thing um at that level within scotland common uh, at all um so you know they, they stood out they, they've managed to do some interesting things and, and they're we've off the back of that brochure we actually ended up doing a podcast with them to find out more because they, you know it's a forward-thinking club at that level so it's not about i think it's easy to get bogged down and how many people come to your game and that's how you sell to sponsors when you've got far more assets as a club that you can sell, whether it is across your connections within the community or, or what you do online from social to your marketing. I think we, I, that's a good point. And I, I uh, again, thank you because I made some more notes and got myself all excited here. But that's one thing that we did try to do coming off uh, the fall. Uh, we didn't play at all in 2020, and we spent a lot of time as an organization trying to be um, a little bit more organized and, and structured and uh, pre-plan a little bit. And one of the things that I got some feedback from a colleague that, you know, all these small businesses in our community, it's a relatively, you know, small couple of towns close by. And the people that run small businesses don't do marketing. Most of them don't do marketing well. So what we tried to do this year in the fall, uh, we tried to do some, some, we did some small business Saturday campaigns where we basically did a free plug uh, every weekend for a local small business. Didn't, you know, there was no money exchange. It was just, hey, send us a little info on your logo. Or we're going to do a blast, promote your business a little bit uh, and, and basically become a marketing partner because uh, we do put a lot of focus, our digital uh, exposure and outreach. Again, Nick's done a good job with that. So we have that identity. Um, and I think we have a little bit of that identity. I know we have it nationally a little bit on Twitter, but I think in our own community, there's so much room yet to improve on finding ways to leverage our marketing. And, and, and it almost makes your club a marketing company. Hey, let me market your business for you. And we're going to also throw your name on a banner at the pitch. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's a good point though, that your marketing outreach is much larger than your, than your gate attendance. And those are probably numbers that we need. I know, I know just Nick and I'll be talking when we hang up. But those are things that we could probably do a better job in promoting as I'm, I'm in, in the thick of, you know, working with sponsors now. And, and it's always that. What can we give them? Well, geez, we don't even know if we can have fans. But you're right. You have fans and via email. You have people that you can still put their badge in, or their logo in front of and, or, or promote a special. It's 10% off when you mention this email from the club. So there's a lot of ways you could go about that. See, you get me rambling again. No, I think the, the, my, the simple takeaway from that is that we have to be more than a soccer club. We, you say we're a marketing company and everything else. It's like 3 p.m. on a Saturday or whenever it is that the, the match goes, that, that, that 90 minutes is almost immaterial to the club's existence. It gets butts on seats and be the biggest thing in the community and yada, yada, yada. But realistically, it's 90 minutes out of seven days. And you know, back home, back home but in england and scotland clubs are working more and more and becoming more increasingly aware that they have to be community hubs right so they have to be generating income seven days a week not 24 7 it'd be great if they were but they have to be like you know omnipresent and positioning ourselves as something that as a business that can market you and we happen to be a soccer club is that basically what we're saying here a little bit yeah i mean like the soccer will will still be the most important thing um but you're right you you're the vehicle that can help your your local businesses uh, promote their services and you've got the the platform to do it you know you you are a a channel if you like and it's probably not the right word to use if i'm honest but you know you you are that vehicle that can help carry that and you can do it in a ways that uh, not many other um, organizations or, or platforms can what do what do clubs do wrong? And I'm not allowing you to say they don't know their brand identity. Something else. But what what's a big mistake that you see happening time and time again? Um, lack of communication. Um, wrong communication. The taking fans for granted. You know, that, that, that's probably some of the main ones. I think, you know, without having to say what you just, um, I'm not going to say it, but... <laughs> and the you, other one, yeah. Yeah, but you, you can tell that when you, you've got a club that is so disconnected from its fan base is because it's not treating them with respect that that they need to. There's a couple of clubs in Scotland at the time, and I'm not going to name them, but their fans, are, if they ever listen to this, would go, well, that's definitely us. That 
have have pretty much lost the fan base because of how they've gone about, or in some cases, I know a club um, out with the top tier that are not even telling um, their fans that players have left the club and they see them on team sheets at other teams. So Mm -hmm. uh, when you start losing that trust, that respect uh, of how your club's being run, then everything that we've talked about in terms of communicating with them via marketing and, and helping sponsors will eradicate quickly because you've not you're not doing what is expected of you as a club. I think yeah. you've got to get the basics right. Yeah, you do. You just the fans are the club. The, the fans are the community. And you know, it's a it's a never ending circle. Um John, I'm letting you catch up on your notes. We've got what we've letting you in daylight and on magic here, Michael. We've got a little um Google keep that we share between the two of us. And all I see as you're talking is this keep note getting longer and longer and longer. He's typing and typing and typing. I'm hoping he's caught up with all his thoughts and he's something else to bring to the party. Right. Well, well, no, I think, I mean, I think, I think it's all, it's all good stuff. And, and I think it's a lot of the things that we've learned and tried to learn and tried to pass on to others. Um, it, boy, it's just so frustrating because it's like, every time I talk to somebody, I, I, I build my list of things that we can do better. And I think we do a good job, but, I just know that we could do so much more and so many different things. And it's well, really it. hard as a volunteer. Yeah, no. And that's it because your list by the signs of things is massive. And what I find, and I've been very guilty of this before is that, you know, you've got to pick two or three things and usually the big things that will make the, the biggest difference to start and just work your way through the list individually and not try to do everything all at once because, you know, you, you can try if you do things i've got a term that i use within my team it's like if we're going to do something let's not do it half hours you know you got to do it that you you commit to it and that means you know you we have to put other things to the side to to make sure that we're doing two or three things really well and then we'll move on to the next thing and then the next thing and there will always be a list there will always be nice to have but think about what are the the key things that you need to do first and then just work from there um because you can get yourself tied up in knots um, and 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 really sort of you know being too harsh on yourself as a, a person that volunteers at a club because you're not doing everything you you want to do and that i still get frustrated that and i work a national team because we're not doing everything that I want to I think we, we can or should be doing but the team's only small you're only one person so yeah I, I definitely I, I wouldn't beat yourself up John in terms of um, not being able to do everything on that list because nobody's ever unless you've got a team the size of something that's like in the NFL um, you, you, you're not going to have that capability so it's, it's doing the stuff that you know what are the big wins that um, that, that can that can set you up and then you go on from there and develop that and go on to the next one. I, I appreciate that. I don't, I don't mean to sound like I'm um, ready to lose my top. I just, I just, um, man, there's so much potential. I mean, it's really a positive thing that I know there's things we, we we've tried in our history that we've tried and they didn't work. So we stopped. There's other things that we tried and then we switched it, but the first thing worked better. So we want to go back. So there's this, that we're, as Nick said, we're a young club and, there's a lot to digest in terms of, of trial and error. And you, you know, we play, we play a, essentially a summer season. So we, we start our preseason in April and we're done by the end of July. So you've got a four month, four month window to execute a plan. And there isn't a lot of time in the middle of it to shift gears. And there is a lot of time afterwards to think about things you do different. And that's where probably the reason my list is so long is because we're going to be at about a 20 month off season by the time we get back on the pitch. So I've had nothing for 20 months to try, you know, and I I think that's, that's part of why I haven't been able to test any of these things that we've talked about and we've made great strides off the, we're just, we're just getting to that point. But um, one of the other challenges I think that we have, and, and I don't know the economic status of clubs in Scotland, but at our level, uh, Nick, chime in here if my percentages are off. We probably have more clubs that are closer to being gone in three years, being bankrupt, or the leadership just doesn't want to continue, or they're player-driven, as Nick alluded to, that 
the players are going to be done playing. And so the club's going to disappear because it wasn't a club. It was a team. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, I think we probably have 60 to 70% of our clubs at our level that are closer to being gone than they are to being around. Would you think those per, like 60, 70%? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say it's probably even higher, right? I mean, it's, it's an unfair market right now in terms of COVID and everything, blah, blah, blah. But I think in the same way that, you know, at the top end, we always go, oh, the, you know, this Premier League team, this, this Scottish Premier League team is just a rich man's plaything. I think in the same vein, a lot of people set up clubs just for shits and giggles and it's a, it's a fun little thing and, oh, it's great, you know, we're, we've got somewhere for me to play or my brother to play or whatever and they lose interest after a while. You've seen yourself, Michael, I know, with the, um, the fan-run clubs that are not, you know, community fans but just like, you too can have a say yeah. in the running of this known means nothing to you club somewhere in Azerbaijan and you can vote on the club fixtures and the club colours and this appointment and this signing and whatever and the novelty wears off very, very quickly and it's just kind of the same thing with a lot of American soccer clubs here. It's just like, why, why are we doing all this work to get 50 people in, to get 70 people in? I was expected to get 700. They're getting 1,000. Well, you're not going to because that culture doesn't exist. We need thousands upon thousands of soccer clubs of, to put it bluntly, Scottish non-league clubs and an athletics, and I know they're not non-league, but for some reason they're the first team that came to my head, and an <laughs> athletics and Nairns and all this. We need thousands of those before, we can, before one of them grows to become you know, a Sterling Albion that then becomes a Montrose that then becomes and goes up and up and up. And I'm just, I'm plucking yeah. Scottish names out of this thin air. I apologize if they're in the wrong order. I don't know too bad. <laughs> but you take my point of like, we can't, because it's a closed system, we can't, we can't just create Rangers. We can't just create Motherwell. And I know there's a leap between those two, but I think Scottish clubs should be looking at Motherwell and should be looking at Hibs and should be looking at Dundee and saying, that's who we want. They shouldn't, they don't, they shouldn't be looking at Rangers and Aberdeen and saying, that's who we want. Because those cultures have been there for, decades and i know the cultures have been there for for albion rovers and everything else as well but the catchment area is such that if they get 250 people that's a good day and that's what the that's what the that's what every club owner in the uk in the us should be thinking is like and then you know 250 is an arbitrary number but they should be thinking what's a good day not what do i want it to be but what's a good day today and can i improve on it tomorrow so yes john the clubs are moments away from dying for a variety of reasons but the biggest one is apathy and that goes to back to the american culture soccer might be the fourth or fifth biggest participation club sport in the country and but there's a huge drop off from baseball nfl and football and um basketball till you get to ice hockey and then another big drop off until you get to football um and i don't know the only way that it changes is by thousands and thousands of clubs springing up in the community and surviving on gates of 50 and 100 people and clubs not having to drive three hours for a local derby. The di- no, honestly, Michael, the distances that they travel here is insane. Absolutely insane. It's, you know, I've got a question for you two then. And, yeah. and again, please my, uh, no, excuse my ignorance, sorry, uh, on the setup. But, you know, why is your season only four months? <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> How long have you got, July? Michael? Because... <sighs> You know, in Scotland, I suppose that's where we, we've got that momentum where a club will begin its season in July and finish in April, May. So you've got a longer time to develop habits. That time period that you talk about there is, is very short to develop long-term habits. Okay, let me do my best to not take up 45 minutes of your time. So the dynamics of our, of our particular level, there's a few different restraints. Number one, um, out of the 20 clubs we're going to have in our league, three have their own facility. So we all rent from colleges or high schools or uh, park districts or whatever. Well, in the spring and the fall, the colleges and the high schools use their facilities. There's not, you don't have that ability to, you know, you don't have a, you don't have a, a fair stadium to play in. Um, we have some, that, that's one thing. The other thing is there's a number of clubs at our level that use college players. They use them at college off season. Um, training basically and those college players report back early August back to their college programs for the fall so we're not dealing I I know our club has started to move our first team as more and more post-college players Um, I I, honestly I've this is something we haven't really talked about internally as a club but if we had our own facility I would I would rather play eight because I I I, I spend too much time. Nick spends too much time. That's the game day is the fun part for us. That's the reward for everything we did. We get to go watch the game. We get to shake hands. Well, not Nick. He works in the press box. I get to go shake hands with our sponsors and, and my neighbors that come. I want a longer season, but we're not ready because at this point, 
doubling the season means doubling the revenue we need to, need to have. So it just doesn't make sense yet. And we're, I think we're positioned very well. We see the, we see the long game. And like I said, there's so many clubs that are so close to just shutting it down. You would, I think we would just bankrupt. Mm-hmm. I mean, two clubs would just say, I, I can't do it. Uh, uh, just to jump into what John said, you cannot overstate the pernicious influence that colleges have on players over here, whether it's recruitment and the, the youth setup, which is a whole other podcast, or the use of facilities, or just basically, it's very easy for Brits to think of college as university, and it isn't, right? Because they are essentially, you've, I'm sure you know about NFL programs and things yeah. like that, but yeah. um, they're, they're signed to these colleges that are essentially clubs. They're, they're, they're their own entities, and they will not let them play whilst they're part of that club. So during the summer, they're allowed to go and you know keep in training, but outside of college, but inside college hours, inside college time, they can't. So we genuinely only have them for the summer. And 90, same as everything, 90% of those players, you know, once they leave college, they, they're not playing in MLS, they're not playing in Albania, they're just, they're done. So the route to market for so many US clubs is providing the 23-year-olds and over somewhere to play. But to do that, you've got to establish yourself and you've got, you've got, you've got to become viable. And to become viable, you've got to have a longer season. And to have a longer season, you've got to overrun colleges. So it's, it's catch-22. It's, <laughs> there's, there's, so yeah, much, yeah. there's so much holding the sport back. I can't even begin to tell you. That's true. Yeah. We, and we know that's the problem is most of us know that it's screwed up. Huh? And we had uh, Chris Kessel on and he, he, he exposed us to uh, a number of things that could be done differently. I think that's just, you know, Nick said it, the culture isn't there. I mean, there's a a small percentage that are passionate enough to start a club or be a part of a club or support a club. But that percentage is so low for the sport in this country still that um, we have to find sustainable ways for our clubs to. That's why the bulk of the clubs are are player driven is because people want to play soccer. Of course they do. But the culture of watching it isn't there outside of watching it on the TV. You know, if you go and watch it, yeah, it's so bizarre from a British perspective to go and watch any level of soccer outside of stadium soccer, right? And they bloody love what we would call a picnic chair. They will bring it, they'll bring their campers, and they'll just sit there, and it's a whole family day out. And the idea of taking, you know, a picnic chair to a non-league game in Scotland where it's probably raining, but you take my point of just sitting on the sidelines and cheering on Billy, but sitting down in your own equipment is just so alien to me so sure to you it just you, it wouldn't be done but it's such a genteel experience over here that the passion that comes from being part of your club being part of Nairn or being part of whoever just I don't want to say they don't get it that's not fair but the vast majority of people don't get it and it's not that we're doing it right but to, in my heart I believe that's what puts it to the next level is when you don't have to have a hatred who are Nairn's local rivals Clark, uh, Nakadan or Clark. Oh, right, right. and it's not that you hate them but there is nothing more important than beating them right yeah, it's always good to beat them, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That sort of mentality doesn't exist. Like, it's, you've got, you've, yes, you want to beat them because they're your local rival, but you're, they're your local rival because they're the closest team that you play. But like ours, this last season would have been a club that is four or five hours away. You can't engender community spirit about let's to beat the team down the road when the team down the road is that far away. You just, you just yeah. can't. And until there's a club on every corner, it's just going to struggle. And the, the hours that John and I and all the other volunteers and this club and every other club that do it put in for, as John says, four months a year reward, it's messed up. It should be the other way around, right? You, we have in the UK, there's three, three months off time and nine months of play. That's how it needs to be to warrant the work that we put in. But I don't know. I'm, I'm ranting and rambling. It's you guys that are supposed to be wrong me. Um, we did good. We had Michael on, and then we did all the talking. I know, yeah. yeah sorry about that. I managed to flip it around. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, I've got very a catchy little question that you know means nothing. But if you've got one tip for clubs that is budget free, you can spend as much as you want, and one tip that is free of budget, what are those two that we would you suggest? Um, I think it just goes back to the start. And again, I'll, I'll I shouldn't really apologise for this, but no, you know, sit down, thing. sit down and figure out what is your club identity what's your values and um, that is for free or, or paid but from a free perspective definitely have it figure out what it is that you're looking to do why uh, just why uh, yeah why, why are you there what what are you looking to achieve and what are the values that you want to do and then as i said that will transcend through how you behave and what you offer if you've got budget then that will still apply, but you know, how do you simplify the process for your fans? How do you make it a good all-round experience from the start of the week 
the well in your case potentially six months out from the season um and you know that journey and that is whether you invest in a good website that you you work with um local volunteers or, or somebody that's just starting out you look at your paid advertising you look at the your email market you invest in doing and it doesn't have to be a lot of budget but you can scale these things on a different level and you know funny enough i have remembered the name of that um <laughs> uh, business that i was thinking about it's a, a company called fanbase club um it's fanbaseclub.com and they they are helping a number of sort of lower league uh, non-league teams within scotland um, help grow the sort of, or try to help grow the club revenue through sort of membership uh, subscriptions, mobile ticket, and etc. Um, you know, you could, there's different ways of, of doing that. But when I look at what we try to do with budget, it is simplifying the process and making it an all round good experience. And that is uh, for us, it's a, it's a trying to continually improve our ticketing system, continually improve how we communicate with fans, particularly through email. The website that we've got and then when we can and we've got big matches we'll we'll try and use paid advertising to, to try and generate more tickets all sounds good gentlemen we are beginning to run out of time so john one last question no, no honestly i he's michael you you've uh, reiterated some points that i i felt strongly about and and you've uh you've added to my list i i cannot thank you enough for your joining us and also um, looking forward to the return of, the, of your podcast. Uh, it, uh, Nick, uh, Nick knows I, I have, my daughter has gymnastics on Saturdays and I have an hour uninterrupted where I podcast weekly and yours has been the, the choice podcast. So um, I know Nick will plug it uh, when he releases this, but, but thank you for doing that. And, and thank you for doing ours. And, uh, it's, it's it's wonderful to hear that everybody's on the same page and everybody's going through the same problem. Uh, no matter what level you're at, and, and as I said, we we've got challenges and struggles at an international level, let alone what's happening um, at, at non-league. So every you know, every club from the outside looks like they're doing a great, marvelous job, but every club's got their own struggles and, and own issues and. It's just how you, you approach them, I think, is the, the best way. And everybody um, does that in different ways. Just fake it until you look like you made it and you're still faking <laughs> it. Right? Even, even Rangers and Celtic are you know, papering over the cracks, right? So no, one, no one's got it sorted. Um, I mean, at the time of recording, Celtic are um, <laughs> can't stay out the news at the moment in time. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're a club that have, their fan base are not too happy about how they're communicating with them and how they're um, being viewed. So, yeah, look, that's, as I that, said... That's the thing that often goes unsaid as well, isn't it? It's like the bigger you get, the more fans you get, the more people there are to criticise what you're doing. So be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Um, any last questions for us, Michael, before we let you go? Because I know it's late over there. No, I mean, I, I think, you know, it sounds, it sounds interesting and it, it, there is similarities to what we do in Scotland, but you've definitely got some bigger challenges in terms of you know the the obvious one for me is that how do you keep that develop habits but we take inspiration from from america a lot and the, there's no harm in lifting what you see other people doing but as it's about adapting and you know you, you two have been very kind and generous in your words about in the podcast that we do and hopefully that continue to to you know, offer some continuing insight and if there's anything ever that you want us to cover is just just give us a shout you're you're all right being on speed dial and just being our go-to right we'll just ring you at three o'clock in the morning over here and you'll be fine answering sure ah well if it's three o'clock in the morning for you it'll be a lot oh, it's not like. <laughs> <laughs> all right look well, again thank you so much um give our regards to chris as well i know he's you know it would be good to have him on we're going to do this again but he is as integral as you are to this podcast, so I don't want him to make it make it think that you know he just wanted you. But um, I appreciate your time, Michael, especially. Um, and yeah, we will. I hope we will be yeah doing this again because there is so much that we need to tap into. Um, best of luck with all you do. Um, best of luck with Scotland. Show that next time we'll have ourselves a laugh. Yeah, we'll have ourselves a laugh. Hooray.